Welcome to this edition of Head to Head. I'm your host, Cam McKinney, and this is episode number 208 of the podcast. And in this episode of the podcast, I'm talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. Last year, the Milwaukee Bucks faced off against the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. The Bucks' first trip to the Finals since 1974, and the Suns' first trip to the Finals since 1993. And the Bucks ended up winning the series with Giannis giving an iconic performance in Game 6. He scored 50 points in the series clinching game, which is tied for the sixth most all-time in an NBA Finals game. Fast forward to this postseason, and it's a completely different story for both teams, as both have been eliminated in the conference semifinals in hard-fought seven-game series. Both teams were blown out, however, in the deciding Game 7s. The Bucks lost to the Celtics 109-81, and the Suns lost to the Dallas Mavericks 123. To 90. The Bucks and Suns lost by a combined 61 points in their Game 7 matchups. That's something no one could have predicted going into this postseason, that both teams' seasons would end in heartbreaking fashion. I mean, these are the type of losses that make you wonder if these teams were legitimate title-contending teams in the first place. Let's start with the Bucks. After they came back down double digits in the fourth quarter against the Celtics in Game 5 of the series on the road, I thought the series was over. Giannis was on fire. That was the Bucks' second victory in Boston. The problem for the Bucks in Game 6 and Game 7 of the series was their inability to hit three-point shots. In Game 6, the Bucks shot 24% from free, and in Game 7, they shot a horrific 4 of 33 from deep. That's 12%. No, they didn't have Chris Middleton, who's a career 39% three-point shooter, but still, you need to do better than that in this series. Grayson Allen shot 20% on 24 attempts from three. Bobby Porter shot 22% on 22 attempts. Brooke Lopez shot 7% on 13 attempts. And Giannis shot 25% on 28 attempts. The solution to the Bucks' problem is quite simple. Surround Giannis with as many decent three-point shooters as possible. That's what the Magic did when they had Dwight Howard. They had Rashard Lewis, J.J. Redick, and Hito Turgaloo. The Miami Heat with LeBron had Mike Miller. Ray Allen, Shane Battier, surround your good young stars with great shooters. You have Middleton to go along with Drew Holiday and Pat Connaughton. The Bucks don't need to become the Warriors and rely on frees. What they need is the threat of the free to be there each and every game to make Giannis's life easier. Also, what the Bucks need is a decent backup point guard because George Hill ain't it. The Celtics had Derek White and Payne Pritchard, two decent enough backup point guards while the Bucks had zero. So when Holiday struggled, they had nowhere else to go. While watching the series, every commentator was saying that the Milwaukee Bucks will give up the three-point shot, and I was go- saying to myself, that's crazy. If you can't hit the three-point shot, then you can't give up threes. So the whole Milwaukee Bucks idea that they can give up three-pointers is ridiculous, because the Celtics can hit threes, and the Milwaukee Bucks can't, and that's what the series came down to. The Celtics hit the three-point shots, and the Bucks didn't. It was really simple, and the Milwaukee Bucks this offseason need to change that problem. They need to get better three-point shooting to surround Giannis, because Giannis isn't going to become a good three-point shooter. I also don't think Giannis has gotten enough criticism for failing to close this series, because when Game 6 started, everyone was saying Giannis is going to close this series because he closed the NBA Finals the year before. That's what every 
everyone was saying he was going to do, and he didn't do that. The star that showed up in that game six was Jason Tatum, who scored 46 points. I don't understand why we're making excuses for Giannis. I get it. He's tired. But Jason Tatum was being defended by Wesley Matthews. Jason Tatum looked really bad at the beginning of that series against the Bucks, and then Jason Tatum showed up in game six and scored 46 points. He showed up when it mattered most. Giannis had an incredible series against the Boston Celtics, but he failed to close out the series, and I think he needs to get the blame for that. Because if he won that game six or game seven, guess who was going to get all of the credit? Giannis Antetokounmpo. So if you're going to give him all the credit, I think you need to give him most of the blame. He did not close out that series. And this goes back to a much bigger problem. Is Giannis Antetokounmpo really a closer in that he's a guy you want to go to in the fourth quarter to close out games? Because as we all know, last postseason, that was Chris Middleton. He became their closer in the fourth quarter because Giannis does have problems. He really can't shoot the basketball effectively, and Chris Middleton can. As a fan of the NBA, I'm sick of calling people who are losing postseason series the best player in the NBA. Like, right as they lose. It happened with Durant and the Nets. Durant lost the series and we still said, oh, well, Durant is the best player in the world. The Celtics shut him down. Well, maybe he isn't. Oh, we called Giannis the best player on planet Earth. The Celtics closed out the series. Maybe Giannis isn't the best player in the NBA. Of course, he's in the conversation. He possibly is the best player. I just don't like giving this guy all the credit after he lost in the second round of the postseason. The Bucks were predicted to, at the very least, make it to the conference final and they didn't. Again, my biggest problem was everyone making the excuse that Giannis is tired. You weren't going to give that excuse to Jason Tatum if the Celtics lost. You weren't going to say, oh well, Tatum was just tired. We pick and choose who we want to blame and right now it feels like the media does not want to blame Giannis for losing that series even though I think he deserves a bulk of the blame. He is the star. He was going to get all of the credit if the Bucks made it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. So guess what? He deserves the majority of the blame. And I even agree with a lot of the points. Chris Middleton is a Celtics killer. I think if the Bucks had Chris Middleton, the Bucks would have won this series. Still, if after I watched Game 5, I said to myself, there's no way the Boston Celtics are winning this series. And they came back and won the series. And I think that's on Giannis. It's also on Boonholzer. It's on a lot of the Milwaukee Bucks players. You cannot let a team come back from that, especially a loss like that. The Celtics were up 14 in the fourth quarter. How do you win that game and then not win the series? I don't think the Bucks are getting enough blame for losing that series. Losing Middleton is a big loss and I didn't expect the Bucks to win the NBA Finals. I never expected the Bucks to win the NBA Finals, but after that game five, I expected them to close out this series and they didn't. So they deserve a huge amount of blame for that. The Celtics deserve a ton of credit. Jason Tatum scored 46 points in that game six. Grant Williams had a massive game seven because the Bucks allowed him to be wide open for all of those shots. Again, that strategy, looking back on it, was so stupid. You can't give up threes if you can't make them. The real strategy should have been take away the three-point shots because the Celtics could not compete with the Bucks at the rim. Jason Tatum is not going to score at the rim against Giannis and Brooke Lopez. They should have... Div- 
defended the free way better than they did. Again, I kept hearing that, oh, the Bucks love to give up the free point shots. Why is that? If you can't make the frees, then you can't give up the frees. The math is simple on that one. Frees beat twos, and that's what happened in that series. The Celtics kept taking frees, and the Bucks kept missing. I might be being harsh on Giannis Antetokounmpo, but I didn't expect Grayson Allen to have a very good series against the Boston Celtics. I didn't expect Bobby Portis to show up against the Boston Celtics, and I didn't expect Brooke Lopez to show up against the Boston Celtics in Game 6 and Game 7. What I expected were massive, massive games from Giannis Antetokounmpo, and for the most part, we didn't get that. And I also don't want to hear the Celtics were shutting him down. I mean, he was scoring 40 points at will earlier in the series. Giannis did not play his best games at the end of the series, and that's on Giannis, because everyone predicted that's when he was going to show up, and he didn't. And I'm not stupid. I know why he's getting a pass, because they won the NBA Finals a year before, and he's the face of the franchise, and it's a smaller market team, but there were expectations of this Bucks team, and those expectations were not met, and when they're not met, I'm going to blame the star player. I'm putting the majority of that blame on Giannis. The same way I would have if Jason Tatum and the Celtics lost, but they came back to win the series and the Bucks lost. Let's turn to the Phoenix Suns, where the biggest talking point has been Chris Paul, who had a rough end to the series against Dallas. For the series, Paul averaged 13 points and under 6 assists per game. This is a guy who led the entire NBA in assists with just under 11 per game. It's the fifth time in Paul's career he has led the league in assists. The Mavs had a brilliant strategy. They knew that if they took Paul out of the series, the Suns would collapse. And that's exactly what happened. Paul had 22 turnovers in the series, and in the final five games of the series, Paul averaged over three and a half turnovers a game. In his career, Paul averages 2.4. And as as much as Pat Beverly would like us to believe the Suns losing is all Chris Paul's fault, it's not. In Game 7, Devin Booker, a man I've seen score 70 on the Celtics, went free of 14 from the field, and big man DeAndre Ayton was benched in the fourth quarter. It's not all Chris Paul's fault that they lost. It's the Suns' fault for relying too heavily on him. Chris Paul is 37 years old. Someone else needed to step up in the Game 7 for the Suns, and they didn't. Moving forward, they need Paul to be their third most important player, not their most important one, because clearly right now, he is the Phoenix Suns. Where Chris Paul goes, so do they. And the biggest question looming over the team is, what are they going to do with big man DeAndre Ayton? Last offseason, they failed to reach an agreement on an extension with the big man. Now he's going to be a restricted free agent. Are they going to do a sign and trade where they trade Ayton for another player. I mean, clearly there are problems. Monty Williams benched this guy in the fourth quarter of the biggest game of the season. So again, let's not call this all Chris Paul's fault. I mean, Chris Paul is such an easy target because of his past playoff failures. I mean, he blew what, two, three, one series leads when he was a member of the Clippers. Let's not all pretend like the Suns would have gone to the NBA Finals last season without Chris Paul. His star teammates needed to bail him out and they didn't. In fact, they didn't even show up. Devin Booker, one of the best three-point shooters in the league, 3 of 14 in Game 7. DeAndre Ayton benched during Game 7. I think the main reason Chris Paul is getting the bulk of the blame is because there are some people
people who love to call him the greatest point guard of all time. And I don't think he is that. I think he's the best pure point guard of his era. I mean, let's be honest. I think one of the things we all love about Chris Paul is he's one of the last old school point guards. He is a pass first point guard. He's not looking to score 27 points a game. He's not taking 13 frees. He's a lethal mid-jump shooter, but he is not looking to get his own scoring points up. He is looking to pass the ball. He is an old-school point guard. He's like Isaiah Thomas. He's like Magic Johnson. That's why we all fall in love with this game, because he reminds us of those type of players, and those type of players are few and far between in today's NBA. Steph Curry is not a pass-first point guard. Neither is Dame Lillard, John Morant, the list goes on and on. I'm just impressed that at 37 years old, Chris Paul is still relevant. I remember growing up, there was this debate, who's better between Chris Paul and Darren Williams? I mean, there have been so many Chris Paul moments. Chris Paul was once upstaged by the Warriors. I mean, the Clippers were supposed to be that next it team, and then Steph Curry comes in and blows them out, and then he goes to Houston, and again, it's the Warriors who get in the way. And then he gets shipped to OKC where the rest of the world seemingly forgets who Chris Paul is and then he gets a third chance with the Phoenix Suns to try and win the NBA Finals and last year at 35 years old he gets all the way to the NBA Finals. There have been a few times in his career where I thought the Chris Paul story was over and the fact that it keeps going is super impressive. Look at it this way Allen Iverson was basically out of the NBA at the age Chris Paul was last year when he got to his first ever NBA Finals. So yes, did Chris Paul have a brutal end to the series against the Dallas Mavericks? Absolutely. But Chris Paul, the fact that he is still relevant at this stage of his career is significant. And absolutely, I would love to see Chris Paul end his career with winning an NBA championship because I do think he is the best point guard of his era. I mean, he is the last true point guard. I just don't think he should be asked to carry an entire NBA franchise to the NBA Finals at 37 years old. I understand all the criticism of Chris Paul and his lack of playoff success, but I also don't think we appreciate how many stages of his career he's been through. He's been the NBA Rookie of the Year. He's gone to the LA Clippers when he was expected to win it all. He went to the Houston Rockets. Then he was shipped away to OKC, and now he's back again with the Phoenix Suns where the expectations are super high. Just for him to be at that stage of his career at 37 years old, again, is super unique. You don't see that a lot. Isaiah Thomas, one of the greatest point guards of all time, won two NBA championships with the Detroit Pistons, was out of the league by 36 years old. Yes, it was due to injury. The longevity of Chris Paul needs to be appreciated. Getting back to both the Suns and Bucks losing in Game 7, I'll say this, I was more shocked that the Suns lost than I was the Bucks because the Suns had the best record in the NBA and lost to a team in the Mavs with one lone superstar in Luka Doncic. And when you get to Game 7 in the NBA, any team is capable of losing. It's a one-game take-all. The surprise is how badly these teams lost in the most pivotal game of their respective seasons. I think these two teams losing show that the league is filled with parity. Last year, the conference finals were the Bucks and the Hawks in the East and the Suns and the Clippers 
Warriors in the West. This year, it's four completely different teams in the West. It's the Warriors and Mavericks, and in the East, it's Celtics Heat, which is very good for the league, because for so long, it was LeBron's going to make the NBA Finals no matter what, and the Warriors are going to make the NBA Finals no matter what, and that has significantly changed. There is real parity. Each and every year, you feel like you're going to get a different matchup in the NBA Finals, and that's where you want to be as a sports league. And that's not to say that dynasties are bad in the NBA. I mean, the NBA has been made on dynasties. The Celtics, the Lakers, the Bulls of the 90s. These teams build the NBA into what it is today. I just love the parody I'm seeing in today's NBA. Because for a while, it looked like we were in the super team era where all of these players were going to team up and go to these bigger markets. And that has not been the case these last few years. Giannis has stayed in Milwaukee. Luka is doing his thing in Dallas. There are stars across every team. The Minnesota Timberwolves made the postseason. They had a star in Carl Anthony Towns. There are really good players on smaller market teams. John Moran on the Grizzlies. I mean, the list goes on and on. There are stars on every team. And the team that tried to create a super team, the Brooklyn Nets, lost in the first round. They were swept by the Boston Celtics. I would rather an NBA where we have eight really good teams than one super dominant one. I think it's way better if there's eight teams with a chance to win the NBA Finals than if there's only one team with a chance to win the NBA Finals, because then we're all invested. Fans of all four teams remaining think they have a chance to win it all. I'm a Celtics fan. I think the Celtics have a really good chance to win, but I could also see the Warriors winning it all. I could see the Miami Heat coming back and winning it all. I could see Luka carrying the Dallas Mavericks on his back and winning an NBA championship. That's the beauty of the NBA. We are seeing a bunch of teams competing to win. Usually when a team loses in the fashion that the Bucks and Suns lost in, major changes would most likely be made. I don't think that's going to happen for either team. Both teams are going to keep their head coaches, Monty Williams for the Suns and Mike Boonholzer for the Bucks, and they're going to keep their general managers and most likely their core roster. These teams did just make the finals last year. I don't think either team should overreact and make make drastic changes. The Suns are not going to move on from Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul is part of the solution, not the problem. They just have to decide what they're going to do with DeAndre Ayton. I personally would keep Ayton. I think he's a very good modern big man. As for the Bucks, again, surround Giannis with as many good three-point shooters as humanly possible because you cannot go 4 of 33 in a Game 7 of the postseason ever again again, and they really do need to get a backup point guard. Again, the Celtics had two better backup point guards than they had because the Bucs had zero decent backup point guards. George Hill was a very good NBA player. George Hill is no longer a very good NBA player. I would also add a backup center. I like Brooke Lopez on the Milwaukee Bucks, but they need someone else to go along with Brooke Lopez because really, other than that, their only other decent 
Jason Big was Bobby Portis, and I don't think Lopez and Portis are enough to go along with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't think the Bucks and Suns are done competing for NBA championships. I do, however, think these Game 7 losses are going to linger for these NBA franchises for a while. I mean, these were brutal, brutal losses in the most pivotal game of their seasons. Everyone thought there was a chance that these two teams were going to meet up for a second time in a row in the NBA Finals. Nobody thought there was a chance that they would be blown out in Game 7 of the second round. What I do love about these two teams losing in the second round of the playoffs is it shows how different the NBA is year to year. I'll end by saying this. I do think the Suns and the Bucks are going to bounce back in a big way next season, and they need to because these were brutal losses in the playoffs. Thanks for listening to this edition of Head to Head. I'm Cam McKinney, and there'll be a new episode of the podcast every Monday, so please rate, review, and subscribe.